Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. With everything that's gone on in markets in 2020, I figured it would be a good change of tact to spend a week focused on property markets, including what we know so far and what comes next. Pete Wargent joins me for this episode to talk about the implications for renters, landlords, owners, and investors. This is a unique episode because Pete shares some of his data and charts with us via video link. You don't need to watch the video version of this podcast, but if you do want to see what Pete and I are talking about and the charts he is using as we go, you'll find the video link in your podcast player or on the Rask Australia YouTube channel. Of course, all the show notes are also available, including links to Pete and Stephen's new book and blogs and websites and all the materials referenced throughout this episode. 
I hope you enjoy this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Pete, mate, welcome back on the show. It's great to have you. Pleasure. Great to be back. For those who don't know, this podcast series featured Pete Wargent in the first season, and we did a a long discussion a bit about your history, some of the books that you've written. Um, We'll get to another one that you've, you've penned recently. Uh, but if anyone wants any context on who Pete is and how he came to be where he is, please go back and listen to that episode. Another note that Pete and I will make is that this video, uh, this recording is actually going out in video format as well, which is a great thing because you get to see us talk. But if we also include slides or charts or we refer to any data, we'll hope to present that to you either in video format or in the show notes. That said, Pete, um, why don't you just give us a quick, you know, 101 Pete Wargent, tell us about yourself, tell us what you do today. Um, and just catches up to speed on everything that we've missed over the past year. Yeah, cool. I think in on that note, uh, I mean, I might just um, for the people who are watching on video, I'll, I'll bring up a slide or two. Uh, so, yeah, that's me, PeteWardgen.com. If you want to, if you're mm-hmm. very bored and you want to read a bit <laughs> more about my bio, but uh, yeah, I guess as you can hear, I'm British, uh, British Australian, uh, born in the UK, uh, been been in Australia since the 1990s. Um, predominantly known for our uh, real estate commentary and our real estate business, but we do uh, some coaching programs as well. And yeah, I guess uh, I have done media a lot over the Mm. years. I I was disappointed last year when I went on uh, Sky News Business to be referred to as, uh, I think it was uh, a veteran of the industry. It was only about three years ago. I was a promising youngster. So that's, uh, (laughs) yeah, life comes out fast. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't it indeed yeah you you talked about this in one of your books get a financial grip um we talked about all of the strategies that you use and it wasn't just property right like you you're investing in index funds and a, and a whole range of different products right yeah yeah so i think uh yeah my first book i, I wrote it in 2011 so i think in terms of the the environment the landscape I mean, we had falling interest rates and also if you just looked at where globally stock markets were sitting there was a decent runway from there because we were only just really recovering from uh, the financial crisis and then the euro crisis put a lot of valuations back down for a while so mm. i guess there was um, it was a pretty easy time you know in terms of uh, as a from a passive investment perspective um, you could pretty much uh, hoist the sail and let the markets carry you along but i guess uh, as we'll come on to uh, the most recent book we wrote uh, back end of last year, obviously a very different environment with a Cape ratio of 33 and uh, the expected returns obviously much lower. Yeah, um, you mentioned the book back end of last year of 2019. Um, we, we chatted just quickly off air before this about how you met Stephen. Um, perhaps you can, you can recount that uh, encounter for us. <laughs> yeah, so I've co-authored, the new book is called Low Rates, High Returns, and it, it was really written uh, to tackle this um, global challenge, really, of low interest rates. Um, and from a timing point of view, the book's due to hit the stores in the next week or two, and cool. I guess interest rates, uh, as we thought they might, have uh, effectively hit the zero lower bound in Australia, but not just here, all over the world, you know, we're seeing mm-hmm. unconventional measures. So. Uh, that was why we wrote the book. Uh, the guy that I co-authored the book, Stephen Moriarty, I actually first came across uh, from my sins on social media, on, on Twitter. He used to uh, chirp me about various bits and pieces. And um, 
yeah, I was I was on the verge of blocking him at one stage, but um, he, uh, being a Brisbane uh, chap, he he's used to go to the local coffee shop in New Farm where I was living four or five years ago, and uh, just became a, a daily routine really going to the coffee shop and talking talking shop, talking markets, and it, I guess over a period of four or five years, our uh, ideas grew from there. Yeah, it's it's a it's funny how the the Twitterverse can connect so many of us, and particularly in the finance community. Man, for, it's a double-edged sword, hey? Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, it is indeed. Like you said, a lot of us, are, or quite a few of us, are actually pretty active on the blocking side of things. But I, I guess <laughs> the thing is, it is a really good way to connect. And like you said, you're on there daily. I'm on there probably almost daily, at least trolling or or looking at uh, what everyone else is writing. But um, it's a great way to connect, and I guess this chance encounter for you has led to a book, um, which is a great thing. And for those who want to know more about it, um, you've got a, a free chapter available online, so I'm, I'm hoping to grab a copy um, as soon as it comes out. But um, yeah, so we'll have some things in the show notes. With regards to, I guess without giving away all of your secrets that come from the book, what are some of the big picture takeaways or just one or two of the big picture takeaways that you have? Because for me, it, investing in such a low interest rate environment, I kind of think like we've so many big pension funds, so many fund managers and multi-asset managers are tilting, are moving further down the risk spectrum. Um, and even individual investors, like we see this all the time, what would have been maybe you know, a diversified bond fund has now become a diversified multi-asset fund where there's some risk assets in there too to get that income from dividends. Um, it's something that I think about a lot insofar as building portfolios out for, for anyone. So I guess if you could distill any of the big big picture items for us, what would, yeah. what would, what would be something that you give to us? Yeah, well, I guess to go all the way up to the 30,000-foot uh, view, what, what we start with is why you should consider managing your own money because as you mentioned these days there's a product for almost anything and uh, therefore uh, given that these days you can very easily take a passive approach that just owns the whole you know the whole universe of, of what's out there what why should you consider managing your own money we've got a model called the three c's so that's cost choice and control and it, i think it um to a certain extent, it relates to the stage of life that you're in, and so on. But obviously, if you're under, if you have the control of your own investments, you can manage your exposure through the cycles. But I suppose, in terms of um, what the book covers, I mean, even though we've, we've written it for the low interest rate environment, we very much wanted it to be a timeless book. So it's based upon eight timeless principles that you can apply in any market at any time, and to a certain extent, I mean, these the principles apply to any asset class, whether it's real estate or equities or, you name it, vintage cars. You know, so the, the principles of where we start the, the book, so there's, there are four uh, thought principles, which are you know, what you need to actually think about before you make an investment. So, um, you know, I think like a lot of people, when I started out, I used to pick my favourite company, make an investment, and then I'd go and do the research afterwards you know as a form of confirmation bias mm. uh, so there are, there are really four uh, thought principles that we encourage people to think through even before you make an investment and then there are four action principles uh, that you should follow um, after well when you're going through the process of making an investment so 
And as I said, these principles, they don't relate just to Australia or just to 2020. The idea is that uh, they apply to any market at any stage in the cycle. Yeah, right. I, I can see here just on the screen, you've got as four of the action principles, asset allocation, buy low, sell high, um, diversification and rebalancing. I guess um, one of the things for me is that um, when we look at across at property now, and I'm going to switch gears here a bit, Pete. Um, yeah, when sure. we look at when we look at property here now, if we can dive into kind of some of the, we go maybe from thirty thousand foot down to twenty thousand foot, and just look over property. Mm. Considering what we've seen so far, maybe on the back end of 2019, with some pretty good results um, across the country, and then coming into what we've seen so far in 2020, which is kind of shock and awe. Um, what are you seeing with regards to, you know, just, I guess, the high level picture from an owner's or investor's perspective, and then maybe from renters as well? I know you've got a couple of blog, blog posts out recently, pardon me, that, that touch on these and talk about inbound tourism, outbound, you know, people leaving Australia, um, and, and kind of the consequences of that. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but maybe we can just start with, invest, with investors and what you've seen in the data so far. Yeah, it's an interesting one because if you go back to, uh, the 2019, you know, the, we went through quite a period of turmoil even back then. We had the Royal Commission uh, mm. into banking and financial services misconduct, which obviously sent a few shockwaves through, uh, well, the whole sector, really. Um, and then we had, um, which seems like a distant memory now, but we had the election campaign where mm. the opposition party was campaigning on a whole raft of uh, taxation changes, some of which would have related to investment property, and that really could have, you know, it stalled the housing market all the way through, uh, well, March, April, early May 2019. Then the election result went differently to as expected. We had very low interest rates, and there was a kind of a mini, a mini boom in property, mm -hmm. uh, sort of 15% gains between then and the early part of 2020, and that, as this year started, markets were running pretty hot. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, we basically hit this um, uh, sudden stop. So I've thrown up a chart for people on YouTube there <laughs> to show what what's happened to arrivals from China, for example. I mean, that's just one metric, but you know, it goes, it's a bit like uh, Nassim Taleb's old chart about the, the life of a Thanksgiving turkey. We were absolutely humming along and then suddenly we've hit a sudden stop. So in terms of housing, uh, in the first instance, I think the main impact has been on the rental markets more so than on prices, mm. um, partly because, well, for one thing, the international students didn't return to Australia, um, but also, um, you know, short-term arrivals from tourism and uh, even and uh, just net overseas migration in general has effectively been halted. Uh, so you, we've basically, you, you get into a situation where you've got all of these short-term lets, Airbnb, um, uh, people who are letting to international students and they're suddenly having to scramble to find tenants. So the first, um, the first sort of shock to the housing market has really been seen in terms of landlords and tenants uh, scrambling for deals uh, because uh, there's an overhang of rental property and you can see that in the listings numbers in quite a lot of areas listings are up five or ten percent so that will have a knock-on impact uh, to rent so there are some compensating factors in the other direction because uh, if you think through the resources boom australia became um 
essentially one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, and from about 2007, uh, there were many more Australians actually heading overseas on a short-term basis than people coming here. So that's not happening on the flip side. And these things have a way of finding an equilibrium over time. But I would say the main thing in 2020 so far is that the rental market is going to cop a big hit. I've noticed that so far. So full disclosure, I'm actually looking to buy a property in 2020. Um, and currently we, we rent an apartment uh, towards the city of Melbourne CBD. And, um, you know, we've, we've had scheduled inspections that have been cancelled because no one's wanted to come and have a look. I mean, that could be an inspections, a social distancing thing. It could be demand. I think personally it's a lot to do with demand. Um, and obviously you have supply of apartments um, in and around CBDs. But uh, that's, what I, that's my personal anecdote and experience so far in 2020. Yeah, um, in fact, um, Cameron Tusher at REA Group, uh, mm. he was previously called Logic, he, he puts out some really good um, uh, leading indicators on this stuff. And what, you know, what he's shown is that, uh, well, the rental markets were really, you know, they were very busy in 2019 and early 2020. Then we saw an enormous drop in people searching for properties to rent. Uh, I think partly, as you said, partly due to the logistics, but also the what you tend to see in a period of economic shock is fewer households being formed, whether it's tenants or buyers, uh, people moving back with parents and so on. And yeah, there was a big, you know, really big drop. Um, I think we were down 30% year on year in terms mm. of searches for rentals. Now, I do know that in, in Britain, uh, groups like HomeTrack and Zoopla, uh, I mean, they do tend to be bullish, let's face it, but they are saying, and they're probably a month further on in this journey, that the rental demand is now bouncing. It's not back to where it was, but it's it's picking up. But hmm. yeah, I mean, let's face it, if you've got a generic apartment in a, a new high rise block, there's probably, there's a lot of competition between landlords for a diminished pool of tenants. So you'll see a drop in rents for sure. Hmm. Do you think, um, obviously this is a consideration, but with rates so low, you get to that point where I don't know if it's parity or equilibrium, what you call it, what you call it, where um, renting is no longer the economical like it's the best solution for you because you can swap you know rental payments for cheaper uh, mortgage repayments in, in many instances. So are you seeing that kind of that 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 I guess supply and demand the imbalance and type of thing play out in property anywhere? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, that's really been a, fa a factor for a few years to a certain extent. Uh, the main hurdle for buyers is often uh, the deposit rather than the serviceability. I mean, the, the Q1 figures aren't out yet um, in terms of uh, interest costs, but what you'll probably see is that interest serviceability is about back to where it was about 35 years ago, not because housing prices are low, but simply because, mm. um, it, well, mortgage rates have just dropped to the lowest level we've ever seen, essentially. So you know, particularly a lot of the fixed rates now, new borrowers are borrowing at like 2.29 and mm. you know, rates around that kind of a level. So uh, yes, you do have to repay principal at some point, um, especially on an owner-occupied dwelling. But you're right, um, the, the holding costs from an interest perspective, and we could have, uh, you know, as owners, we could have only dreamed of this back in, you know, 2006, seven, when mortgage rates were pushing mm. you know, eight, nine percent. So that that side of things, uh, when when Australia does come out the other side, I guess there are probably three things that are uh, 
sort of supporting for property prices. One is record low mortgage rates, uh, probably the lower Aussie dollar as well, but just the, the, the government stimulus and uh, you know the amount of government involvement in the economy will need to create jobs, so infrastructure projects and so on. So when we do come out the other side, however long that takes, there are some uh, sort of tailwinds, but the question is, well, how, how long does it take to get from here across to there? Mm. Um, we've talked a bit about like um, residential property rent renters. Um, I don't know if you have a slide on this or if you have some um, thoughts on this, but with the introduction of rental caps and the government asked, effectively asking landlords to, you know, meet tenants, not in the middle, but somewhere in between. Um, have you seen anything uh, play out or have you heard from clients or, you know, have you got any data points on that? Yeah, it's mainly anecdotal at the moment. So I think the, the data tends to lag a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly um, most of the people I've spoken to, it's mainly just been simply a relief to get to get a lease signed for six or 12 months, mm. even if it's at a slightly lower price. You know, most landlords are happy with that. Tenants like the security. But uh, yeah, I mean, it hasn't flowed through to the official figures yet, but I, I suspect what you'll see, you know, when all the figures roll through over the next year, I suspect the the median rental price will be lower than it than it has been. So uh, yeah, so I mean these things they often portrayed as you know bad, but it's not bad if you're on the on the side of the renter. So that I guess uh, the equal and opposite reactions. So um, and that that in itself can free up uh, more capital for people to spend elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's a bit of give and take there. How about when it comes to uh, and I'm just. I'm just firing off some questions here for you. It's kind of like a, a quick take on everything, but um, there's so much to get through. How about when it comes to investors and, and owner-occupiers um, from, from their perspective, what are, what are we saying now? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, um, well, let's do two things. One, let's look at what the stats show, and then I'll give you my opinion. So okay. uh, if you went back to Q1, like the main was very, very bullish on everything. You know, house prices effectively record highs. Unit prices in some areas have dropped off, but but really, if you're looking year on year, they're still reporting double-digit gains. CoreLogic was the final day of the month today. CoreLogic hasn't really seen much in the way of an impact to date on prices. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, it, it, this, the other leading indicator you look at is asking prices, which for, for houses, are especially in Sydney and Melbourne, are at record highs. So hmm. <laughs> vendors' expectations haven't really come to the party much yet. Um, Asking prices for units are down. But I actually, this is just my view, and uh, mm. this is no disrespect to anyone that compiles the data. I, I think we will see when the figures actually eventually flow through, you will see that prices are down. Uh, I've seen firsthand, especially at the top end of the market, um, you know, people aren't really selling at the moment because it's a good market to sell into. So I think there's much less competition at the top end and prices above above the two million uh, quartile of really uh, there's been some discounting there but also right. you see there's a lot of off-market transactions happening at the moment and what you find is the prices often aren't disclosed on those and so i think that there might be some murkiness in these figures and when you look back in six or 12 months you'll probably find that median prices have dropped mm -hmm. um, now i'm still seeing some instances of people uh, paying big dollars in Sydney and Melbourne and you know 3% yields of property and stuff so it's not across the board but I think on a median price level you've probably seen 
there's just less competition and prices have come down a bit. Yeah, I've spoken to a few agents um, in and around Melbourne and they've said, you know, it was a, it was a great January, February period and then we got the start of March wasn't too bad, um, but towards the back end of March and now into April, some agents have reported a, a, a fall off in, in buyers to the tune of 70%. So, yeah, 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 and that's 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 exactly what happened in Britain as well. And they're probably a month ahead. Uh, there's that, you know, and you, you often see this in periods of recession or downturn. The first impact is on the number of transactions. Uh, what determines how far prices slide is usually related in some way to employment or unemployment. Uh, so at, at the moment, well, you know, we might not see much impact in prices, but transactions are off a cliff. So uh, yeah, and that's that's definitely happening in the UK and it's, it's happening here too as well now. When So I, Pete, you're going to have to fill me in on this one because I don't follow it that closely, but when it comes to auction clearance rates, are those? I'm guessing that's a pretty poor metric to be using right now because we're not having too many auctions? Or is, is that right hey, yeah, yeah, that's it. There's very few and it, it's just a logistical thing now. I mean, for sure you can have online or virtual auctions, which in other parts of the world, they've been popular for years, but in Australia, it's very much been about the, um, you know, getting people on site, you know, creating an atmosphere and you know, a bit of FOMO and stuff like that. But that's just not happening now, just from a logistical standpoint. So the, the, the number of auctions is so small, the pool is so small, that it's just statistically not relevant at the moment. Um, so I guess all you can do, and this is, I would encourage anyone who's interested in property to do this anyway, there's always a lot of vested interests, uh, you know, pushing certain angles and or trying to be the guy who called it and did this, that, and the other. But most of you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. You know, prices are down twenty percent in Gympie, but you live in you know, North Melbourne. I mean, what does it mean? You've got to look at your local market where you're interested in buying and you know, speak to some agents, uh, try to get a feel for you know what's selling at what price, even if it's off market. Um, because yeah, look, the statistics can mask a lot of different underlying trends. Mm, absolutely. How about I guess one thing that you, you you kind of touch on there is the difference between city and and regional areas. Um, you know, if we we could probably cut and slice the data in any number of ways, but are, are we seeing anything insofar as more expensive properties? You mentioned that two mil uh, limit there. Are we seeing anything with regional versus CBD? Uh, Anything out of the ordinary there so far? Yeah, I think, I mean, areas where there is a high reliance on tourism, uh, I would say, I mean, typically Gold Coast is one of those areas mm. uh, because it, it's not just overseas tourism. As you know, people fly up from New South Wales to Gold Coast for, for rentals and that's not really happening at the moment. I imagine Cairns, similar story. So, yeah, I think probably some areas are getting hit harder than others, especially if there's a reliance on short stays, holiday makers, tourism, that kind of thing. International students as well. I think, um, you know, I don't do anything in that sector, but I imagine there's a bit of pain playing out because half of the <laughs> international t- uh, uh, students haven't been able to return. So, yeah, there's a bit going on in different sectors. But, yeah, I mean, it's a very fluid situation at the moment. It's not like we can refer back to... Um, precedents and say, well, this is what happened last time. You know, I mean, as we speak today, Australia seems to be a better place than almost anybody in the world mm. uh, from a, a coronavirus 
perspective, but you know, obviously when you're talking about global pandemics, it pays to be a little bit wary about making predictions. Yeah, um, speaking of, I might, uh, rather than actually actually to make a prediction, I, I might actually ask you to, um, instead of a prediction on prices, maybe a prediction in terms of the horizon that investors can probably think about. Um, you know, we've got this six month, of someone that I know calls it a bank holiday or, you know, a loan holiday effectively because you don't have to pay interests on, on your mortgage and um, a lot of people are getting subsidised. And the concern amongst some investors is that, you know, what happens in six months? Um, we talk, You talked about how some rentals are bouncing, but the question is how long do we kind of sit in this? Is it going to be a U-shaped recovery, a V-shaped recovery? Who knows you know, what's it going to be? If, uh, if you are... Yeah, if I knew the answer to that, I would, uh, yeah, that would be great. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I, maybe none of those. Maybe it would be like a square root-shaped recovery. I, I don't know that it would be very easy for developed economies to go back to the level of output they were at very quickly, simply because, you know, modern economies are not designed to be shut down like that. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, different people, People have different views on this but it's very difficult for a lot of businesses to go back um, just to simply reopen I'm thinking you know cafes restaurants um, con- con- consumer based businesses can they just go back to how things were just by switching on a, a you know flicking a switch I'm, I'm not so sure about that so but in saying that I mean um, at yeah, the time of speaking I think um, Australia's rattled through about 15,000 tests today and we've come up with uh, essentially nothing in New South Wales, Queensland, zero. A lot of the states and territories are seeing zero cases. So I'm sure the clamour for reopening will begin now. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, obviously, the, we, have, we haven't even seen, uh, you know, the earnings seasons roll through yet. You know, what happens to unemployment figures, you know, the real unemployment figures, underemployment. There's a lot to play out yet before we can say we're back towards some kind of normality. Yeah, I... So when you, this is an interesting one again, because when people talk to us about investing in the share market, um, you know, just allocating capital to, to risk on assets, we say, you know, if you're talking to a direct investor, the, the reply is kind of like the best time to be an investor is today. Um, you know, you could have been invested 20 years ago. That's probably a better time. But, you know, just get in the market now. Um, I guess when it comes to property, uh, what's the advice that you would have for someone um, if you had someone, a client that comes to you and they say, you know, is now a good time to buy? What would be, I guess, even just a generic response to that? Well, look, it, it comes down to you know, personal circumstances and goals. I mean, so I have a mortgage pre-approval myself at the moment, but yeah, I'm still trying to find something appropriate to buy at the right price. I, I, I think a fair few buyers have got pre-approval and they're just sitting on their hands until you know, mm. they're clear that there's light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, I guess, um, you know, we're, we try to think of when we're thinking of wealth building in, in three different time frames. And, you know, generally speaking, you know, you, for sure you can do flips and renovations, but most people who invest in property, so it's a wealth three or a bucket three type asset. So it's kind of long term and legacy. And it's, it's a bit like your superannuation or, you know, those, you know, the big systemic companies you just throw in the bottom drawer and they just pump out. The income. So, I mean, if you're looking at a 20 or 30 year investment, then, you know, this is, you know, it's one of the great real estate mantras, wasn't it? It's always you know, never a better time to buy, you know, mm. or the uh, the Buffett quotes about, 
you know, someone sitting in the shade today. Uh, but generally speaking, you, you shouldn't really uh, judge a 20 or 30 year investment on what's happening in year one. And there may be an opportunity in 2020 to buy when there is less competition. But mm. yeah, I guess what a lot of people are doing at the moment is they're just making sure that things are sort of improving again and they're not overpaying because I, I guess that's you know, one of the cardinal sins when you come to invest. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the data points that you brought up in a recent blog post, which for me suggested, you know, if we're thinking in terms of probability, um, it suggested perhaps a slightly more drawn out uh, impact from coronavirus on the, the housing market. And that was the data point you brought up about um, new housing starts and how they could drop pretty far. Um, perhaps you can shed some light on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... Um yeah, I mean, approvals were dropping anyway, but now, I mean, it's a very difficult prospect to get a um, to get a new development off the ground. You know, financing is slow to come by. There's a lot of uncertainty. And just generally speaking, you know, people, they don't like to buy new property off the plan if there's, if there's uncertainty about where prices will be in a year or two from now. So I suspect, um, well, UBS thinks the lowest housing start since at least 1960. Some other stats show, well, possibly you know, the lowest housing start since 1950. Um, so, that, I mean, that's going to, you know, the, the new dwelling supply is going to dry up, I suspect. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that in itself is not bullish for the economy because in Australia, mm. you know, almost 10% of the employed labour force works um, directly or otherwise in construction and about something like three quarters of that at the peak was in residential so you know if, if that sector is grand, grinding to a halt you know there, there's potentially you know six or seven hundred thousand jobs there on the line and you know and for sure the government can kick off infrastructure projects but they'll they'll need to be pretty labor intensive to, to plug a hole like that yeah it's one of those things where i guess you look at the construction sector at the moment and things are Kind of ticking along i've heard you know i've heard of bunnings warehouses selling out of just about everything um because people are trying to do things in their house or tradies are getting into stock up because they're worried about supply but then i guess that's that's kind of that's second order impact is you know what happens in three months um you know what happens in six months and i guess credit is a big concern there too um pete is it anything else um that you in particular are seeing in the data now or that you're waiting to see um, yeah, not really. I mean, so a lot of the official figures, they lag massively. So, and that's why auction clearance raised the mentioned, even if it is a small sample, people have typically like to watch them because it's, you know, it's a real time indicator, however transparent those figures are. So yeah, mostly I'm just speaking to mortgage brokers, you know, that's, you know, that's usually one of the best uh, lead indicators. If, if people are picking up the phones to their brokers and saying, right, I want to get a mortgage and I'm interested in buying, you know, that, that tends to give you the best picture of where things are heading over a few months. I mean, you know, what we're seeing is, yeah, there's a lot of people uh, interested in buying. In fact, um, yeah, if you go back to what uh, uh, Cameron Kusher at REA Group is doing, I mean, he's saying the year-on-year -year searches uh, now, well, they, they obviously, they basically crashed in um, through mm. March, but uh, through April now they've bounced to be, well, I mean, they're 37% higher year on year. Now, for sure, there might be some people just browsing 
but it's um it i think it's an indication that perhaps as you mentioned you know low interest rates environment people don't know what else to do with their money um you know there may well come a point uh where you know when we come out the other side there, there could be uh, quite a flurry of activity but yeah mm. at the moment not seeing that yeah i guess those those types of stats around usage and and anal those digital analytics are, are quite uh peculiar right now because what we're seeing on the stock market side of things and with our publishing business and um, like even with our podcasts and our videos is, is what we're seeing is this massive increase in traffic, um, a lot of inbound interest and it's coming from two particular groups. It's coming from those who are you know just outright fearful about what's going on um, and are seeking any type of information that can shed light on what's going on in their portfolios. But then on the other side, you have those who are seeing this as a real opportunity. So you kind of have that greed figure like, you know, what, what are the signals I need to know? What are, and, and to translate into that, into property speak, it might be, you know, are there any fire sale houses in my area? Are there off market transactions? What do I need to know to make a good decision right now? So I guess you could take the, those types of stats one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and you know, more people working from home, probably a bit of time on their hands, you know, that, that itself could drive online traffic but it's um yeah i mean but, i mean if you look at the bounce uh in the last uh, two or three weeks it's quite pronounced so mm. you know, maybe um there's a sense that well maybe australia is going to reopen for business and um you know there one, one of the things we did find um back during the election that what we when we the election result happened we ended up with this uh what they call it like a cobweb effect you know that's an mm. economic term but essentially there was no stock because Nobody had listed properties in the during the election campaign um, because, well, the you know a few buyers around. Everybody was very cagey. When the when the market bounced um, 26, 27th of May or whenever it was, um, and then APRA released a few, um, uh, well, just eased a few of its uh, regulatory policies, and then suddenly there was this massive surge of buyers. And there was just nothing to buy. No, certainly no quality stock. And that I guess um, what we may find. Uh, is a dearth of quality new listings. I think if you look at the stats at the moment, you know, they're, they're probably off. New listings are down by close to 40% from where they were. Mm. Um, at one stage, they were down almost in half. Um, so, yeah, there's probably plenty of age listings on the market, but new listings are pretty low at the moment. So, yeah, I guess it just depends, you know, can the... Uh, the government switch the confidence uh, back on quickly. If it can, then um, you know, we may look back and this is just a blip for the housing market rather than anything else. Mm. Uh, but if it drags on for months, then different story. Yeah, I think there's one thing that I get from reading your blogs and your updates is that there are so many indicators and some of them, like you said, uh, are better than others. And I guess you need to make an inference into the data to understand you know, what variables are important to where you're buying and, and what you're looking for, as well as obviously the asset that like you speak of quality assets quite a bit, you know, buying and holding, thinking of these assets as a, as a legacy asset, they're definitely not a trading asset. Um, Pete, I think, you know, this would be a really good chat to have again, maybe in, in a few months once, once the dust settles and we have a bit more of this data. But um, in the meantime, your book's going to drop. So I'm keen to give that a plug. I'll be picking up a copy. Um, you said, is that coming out in a month? Uh, yeah, so it was actually due to be out already, uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, 
went to China for printing, so a few delays on that side <laughs> of things. But no, you can pre-order it from Dimex already. Uh, low rates, high returns is the book. Um, there is a free chapter there if you want to get a download. So it's www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book. And there is there's some blog content there as well, actually. So I'll give you a flavor mm. at lowrateshighreturns.com. Yeah, great. And I'll, I'll pop it in the show notes as well as um, I'll provide a link to your Twitter if anyone wants to reach out and get in contact with you. But Pete, mate, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to have you on here, Perspective. So thanks again for joining me, mate. Yeah, pleasure. But uh, yeah, warning to uh, Twitter followers, um, <laughs> I, I'll be I block early and often. <laughs> Good one, mate. All right. Thanks, Cheers, Owen. Great to speak. Thanks, then. Cheers. Cheers. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.